Merry Christmas. It's so great to see all of you here today. I want to thank you for joining us for our Christmas weekend celebration. For those of you who are joining us online, we're so glad you're out there. We miss you and we can't wait to see you. And I want you to know that we love you all very, very much. And all of you who are under the tent as well, thank you for being out there. And we hope you grab the blanket and, uh, and, and join the heater out there. Well, anyways, it's hard to believe that a year ago, we were actually locked down for Christmas. We were locked down at home for Christmas. And so it is so good to be here together, isn't it? To enjoy one another's company. And um, it's just really great. Uh, and I want to begin today uh, where the, by opening up with a word of prayer. And uh, I want to ask you to pray for what's been going on in the Philippines. Just a few days ago, they were hit by this massive typhoon. And many of our friends were impacted by it. In fact, I was speaking with a number of people even in the lobby just a few minutes ago, and they were telling me that their family members have been impacted. We um, have been working closely with a family there on Bohal, uh, Jocelyn and Roy Velasquez. And they used to come to our church, but they're back in, in the Philippines now, and they want us to start a church out there. And so we've been talking about that. And um, we finally was it, were able to uh, get a hold of them. They said they've lost power. They said they're now running out of food and water. And she said the place is just, the entire island is completely devastated. And so let's pray. Um, they're facing a very difficult time. And let's pray not only for them, but for those who've been impacted by the tornadoes in the Midwest. I can't imagine um, us having to go through something like that here in the South Bay, but uh, they're having it really, really rough, all right? So let's keep them in our prayers as we uh, open up our time. And hopefully, Jocelyn and Roy and the others, uh, we, wa we have many people watching from the Philippines, will be able to get some power so they can watch our services online as well, all right? So let's, let's pray together and we'll get started. Well, Father, thank you so much for, um, for getting us together after a whole year just being locked down, uh, especially having missed Christmas last year. And Father, there's just something about being together at a time like this that is so meaningful to us. Uh, and so thank you for that. And Father, I pray that you would continue to keep every one of us, everyone in our church family and extended family safe and healthy during this time. And Father, speaking of safety and welfare, Father, our hearts just go out to those uh, in the Midwest who've experienced tremendous loss and continue to experience loss from the tornadoes. And now, Father, our dear friends uh, in the Philippines, the Velasquez's and so many others, God, that we've already heard from and some we haven't heard from yet. And Father, you know, when I asked Jocelyn Roy what we can do, can we send them some money? They, they can't even get to the banks. They can't even, and they can't even buy water because there's, there isn't any water to be had. And so, Father, we pray that you would intervene in that nation, that somehow, whether it's through relief agencies or through the government, we pray, God, that you would begin to get relief into those places very, very quickly, Father God. And we pray that, that even in the face of darkness there, that you would be a light, that you would use your people to be a light. So, Father, somehow be glorified there, and be glorified um, in the Midwest, be glorified here today. So thank you, Father. We look forward to what you have to say to us. Speak to our hearts, God, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, recently I came across an article in National Geographic. It was actually, it actually came out last year. And National Geographic reported uh, a significant drop in what they call seismic noise, seismic noise all over the planet during the pandemic. 
Now, as you may know, uh, scientists have planted these seismometers all around the globe to detect any time the Earth shakes. And uh, last year, seismologists noticed a significant decrease in shakings around the, around the Earth, and they attributed it to people not going, or people staying home and not going to work, people not driving their cars, people not going outside and playing outdoors and not going to the mall and not going to BTS concerts. And so, do you remember those days when, when, um, when the freeways were clear and you can even go outside in front of our church on 190th Street and it was eerily silent. You can actually go out there and take a picture, run the middle of the street and take a picture because there were so few cars out there. And who would have ever thought that seismometers are so sensitive that can actually detect that the earth got quiet all of a sudden because people weren't out and about doing their thing. I mean, it, really, it really can pick that up. Well, even though the earth stopped shaking for at least a short season, one thing that didn't stop shaking was our lives. Our lives didn't stop shaking. In fact, the truth is, we have never been more shaken than we have in the last 20 months. It's kind of unbelievable to think that a virus that's so small you can't see it with a naked eye can shake us the way that it has. For example, it's shaken us to the point where we think that if we get sick, and if we have to be hospitalized, there might not be a bed for us. It's shaken us to the point where we think that if we get sick, that we might not be able to breathe. And that we might even have to be intubated, and that we might even die alone. I mean, even after the lockdown, after millions of people, the lockdown was lifted, and millions of people were uh, allowed to go back to work, millions of people didn't want to go back to work, and parents didn't want their children to go back to school. Uh, they wanted just, for them just to stay home. They, they just wanted to stay home, and, and some for very good reason. And so COVID has just rattled us to the core. And then more recently, We've been shaken by high gas prices, by high food prices, and by high everything, even the cost of housing. Add to that a new crisis, a new crisis, a new crisis, the crisis of lawlessness, which is, seems to be sweeping across the land. I mean, everywhere you look, murders are up, violent crimes are up, hate crimes are up, thefts are up, smash and grab, home invasion robberies are up. In fact, a police officer in our church told me last weekend, right here in the lobby, told me that he says, be careful of home invasion robberies. He says, whenever you're driving home, he said, always look in the rearview mirror to make sure you're not being followed because we're seeing so many people being followed and they get home. He said, we saw a record number just this last month. And so you always be careful and always look to make sure no one is following you. And if you do, you call 911. But just the other night, just the other night, three young people were shot in the parking lot at, right in front of BJ's in the Del Amo Mall. My daughters eat there all the time. And all these developments have left us shaken and wondering, what in the world is going on? What's going on? Will life ever return back to normal? You know, it just seems that our future has never been more bleak and more uncertain than it is today. Well, approximately 730 years ago, not, not 730 years ago, but approximately 730 years before Christ was born, a man named Ahaz ruled the nation of Judah. And FYI, Judah was once a part of Israel, but Israel, there was a civil war between the two, and the two nations split. And so the folks in the north retained the name Israel, and the folks in the south took the name Judah. And so it was split. Well, Ahaz was the king of Judah, that nation on the south, and it was a very dark and foreboding time for them, much like it is for us. It was a time of immense uncertainty because the drum 
the, the, the war of drums were beating right at their doorstep as the enemy was ready to pounce on them. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, the prophet Isaiah described Judah's reaction to what was going on in their lives this way. Let me put it up here for you. Isaiah 7, 2 says, And the heart of his people, the heart of Judah's people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. I mean, things were so bad. It says here that they shook like trees. I mean, they were petrified. They were so afraid of what was going on. They were so afraid of their future, a future of uncertainty. Kind of sounds like us. And it was in the midst of all this uncertainty, it was in the midst of all this shaking that God spoke some of the most marvelous words ever heard in Israel. Here's what he said, Isaiah 7, if you jump down to verse 14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, what Ahaz and his people of Judah didn't realize at the time was that in the midst of their shaking, in the midst of their uncertainty, the Lord told them about Christmas. He was telling them about Christmas. And this was a prophecy about Christmas. And he told them that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, something that is a biological impossibility, that a virgin would give birth to a son. And when that baby boy was born, he would be called Emmanuel. Well, as it turned out, this wasn't a prophecy for their time, but it was a prophecy that would be filled at a later time. And exactly, that's exactly what happened. So you fast forward from that time of Ahaz, fast forward 730 years into the future, and the prophecy came to pass. And we find it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. Let me read it for you. Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. And it says, this is how, the, how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So it all happened just as God said it would happen. It was all fulfilled as God said it would be fulfilled. A human, a human mother named Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph. And wouldn't you know it, she got pregnant. She got pregnant even though she had not consummated her relationship with her husband because he still wasn't her husband. They were still engaged. And according to Hebrew custom back then, if you were engaged, if you were an engaged woman and you got pregnant before you got married, then the man had every right to call off the wedding. And that's what Joseph was planning to do. But the Lord told Joseph, no, 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 don't, don't do that because the child that was conceived in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the father of the baby is none other than Almighty God himself. Truly a miracle. This child inside of Mary was 100% God and 100% man. And as you, like, as you Hawaiians like to say, Jesus was Hapa, right? Now take a look, take a look at that last verse again. Check out the baby's name, Matthew 1, 23. Look, 
the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus was to be called Emmanuel. Now this verse tells us something that Isaiah 14, 7 doesn't tell us and that is it tells us what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel means God is with us. Now let me explain the significance of this. Back in 2016, a bunch of us from the church went to Sapporo, Japan on a mission trip. And when we had a free night, the host asked us if we would like to go see a baseball game uh, on our free night. And I said, yes, I answered for the team. And I said, yes, we want to go see a baseball game on our free night. And so he took us to the Sapporo Dome where we saw the Nippon Ham Fighters. And the reason why I wanted to go see the baseball game is because they had a young baseball player named Shohei Otani, and they said he was going to be the next Babe Ruth. And so we went. Nobody knew who he was, but I got one of his jerseys because I was so excited. And then two years later, he signed with the Anaheim Angels, the Los Angeles Angels. And I've been a fan of his for a long, long time. Well, earlier this year, after the season started, um, my daughters wrote to him at Angel Stadium. Actually, I wrote the letter. I just signed their names to it at the bottom. And that's true. That's really true. I wrote the letter. And I just said, okay, you're signing this letter for me. I figured he wouldn't reply to an old man, but he might reply to two pretty young ladies. And to make sure he knew who they were, I put their pictures. <laughs> I seriously did. I put their pictures on the letter. Too they wouldn't let me show you the letter. I think they're too embarrassed. I also enclosed, and I sent him a little package. I also enclosed in the package an official MLB baseball, which I got from MLB. And I asked him if he would autograph it, or, or my daughters asked him if, it, if he could autograph it for their dad. And uh, I even enclosed postage and a return label, so all he needed to do was sign the baseball, put it back in the box, seal it, put the stamps on there, and voila, I would have my baseball. Guess what? He never replied. <laughs> never replied. And, yeah, and since we sent him that letter, Shohei's only gotten bigger and more popular. He's become a global mega star athlete today. He is the MVP, MVP, MVP. And, uh, and now everybody wants a piece of Shohei, including me. No, actually, I just want to sign baseball. And since his fame has skyrocketed, access to him has become even more restricted. You can't even get near the guy. You can't even get near him. You know, for most of human history, that's kind of how it was with God. You couldn't get near him. People didn't have access to him. I mean, if you, in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, if you read the Bible, you'll see that God basically made himself known to only a few select people. I mean, Adam and Eve, for example. I mean, he created them, and then it says that he walked with them in the cool of the garden. Guys like Abraham and Moses, they had access to God. God spoke to them. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Ezekiel. A king named David. God spoke to all these guys. But, but other than that, there are not a whole lot of folks that God had uh, relations with. People didn't have access to God. And uh, you almost had to know a priest or a prophet or a king uh, in order to have access to God. And then everything changed. On Christmas morning, everything changed 2,000 years ago because that's when God came to be with us. He came to be with us, all of us, so that we can have access to Almighty God. The key word in Matthew 1.23 is Emmanuel. Let me put it up here for you again. It is Emmanuel. 
And Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word in the Greek New Testament. It is also what's called a theophoric word, which means that the name of God is embedded into the word. Let me break it down for you this way. The first part of the word of Emmanuel is Imanu, and it means with us. It means with us. And then the second part of the word is El, and El is the, name for, is the Hebrew name for God. And when you put the two together, you get Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, and it means God with us. And this was the game changer, Christmas. This was the game changer. It meant that God came to earth in the form of a man. Paul put it this way in Colossians 2 verse 9. He said, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Think about that. In Christ, all the fullness of God lives in human form. And I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Imagine all of God, the totality of the God of the universe is, in, is packed into a human body. And thus, and thus, for the first time in human history, for the first time in hu- human history, because God appeared to us in human form, we could have access to God. We could have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you will know that when he was around 30 years old, he began to reveal to the world who he was. He began to tell the world who he was. He came and he performed miracles to prove who he was. That's why he performed the miracles. And yet, and even when he performed miracles, pe- people didn't believe him. A lot of people, especially the religious community, didn't like him. They didn't like him. They hated him. In fact, they accused him of blasphemy for claiming to be God. And then they crucified him. I mean, could God have stopped the crucifixion from taking place in the first place? Absolutely. He was God. He could do anything. I mean, Jesus could have stopped it himself because he was God, but he didn't. Because he knew that by dying on a cross, he would be taking the punishment for our sins. And we see, Jesus recognized that our biggest problem is sin. And that's our biggest dilemma. Even today, that's our biggest problem. The mess that we're in is all because of sin. And he recognized that that was our biggest problem. And the only way, Jesus knew that the only way that we could be forgiven of our sins, and the only way that we could be reconciled to God was if he died on a cross for our sins, if he took our punishment. And that's what he did. He died. Jesus died. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead because he was God. He raised him from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection proved that he was God. And now, if you simply believe in him, if you will have faith in him, if you believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and that he did what he said he did, you will be saved, which means you will be forgiven of your sins, and you will receive the gift of eternal life, and God will come to be with you and live with you in your heart. That was one of the Apostle Paul's prayers. I don't know if you know that or not, but one of the Apostle Paul's prayers was that Christ would live in our hearts. He said so in Ephesians 3, verse 16, He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. And here's what he says here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It was his prayer that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And Christmas made that possible. Christmas made it possible for the God of the universe to dwell in your hearts, that he would be with you. And we can't even begin to wrap our heads around what all this means. You know, I'll never forget the first time the doctor told me that they found a spot on my lung. I went to get a chest x-ray because I was having some issues and I wasn't feeling, was feeling some discomfort in my, in my chest area. And so I went and got a lung, a chest x-ray and the doctor said, well, they found a spot on my lung, but they didn't know what it was. So they sent me back for more chest x-rays. And after those came back, he said, well, he says, we still can't figure out what this is. 
So I'm going to order CT scan. So I had to go back and get a CT scan. And even after the CT scan, it wasn't clear what it was. And so he said, well, let's get a PET scan. And it was unnerving to have to wait to get an appointment. And then it was even more unnerving to have to wait to get the results. And look, it literally took months and months for there to be a final resolution. And of course, right after the first chest x-ray, right after the CT scan, I began to wonder, I wonder if I have cancer. I wonder if this is lung cancer. And I, and I, I wondered whether this might be the beginning of the end for me. And of course, I thought about my, my family. I thought about my wife and my children. I thought about the church and what that would mean for the church. And as I said, it took months and months and it was building and the anxiety, the anxiety and the apprehension, the uncertainty, and even the fear began to build up and, and well up. And finally, it was confirmed after the biopsy that I had lung cancer. And to be honest with you, I'll never forget, I was having lunch with my, 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 uh, my wife and mother-in-law at the restaurant when the doctor called. And to be honest with you, I was... I was so stunned that I couldn't even break the news to them at lunch that I had cancer. You know, soon after my diagnosis, you know, they, the doctor talked about, you know, taking the next steps, and that, the first step was surgery. I remembered um, something that the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 41, and I'll put it up here for you. And this really brought some comfort to me. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, God said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And if you jump down three verses later, verse 13, he said, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. I mean, this is what came to mind after my diagnosis. And here's what stuck out at me from this passage. The Lord said in verse 10, I am with you. He said, Gary, I am with you. And then in verse 13, he said, I hold your right hand. I hold your right hand. And this is what I clung to. This is what I held on to after my diagnosis, that God was with me and that he was holding my right hand. Well, finally, surgery day arrived. It was a little more than two years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday, driving to the hospital because it was so much traffic. And I said, we're going to be late for my surgery. And then going into the prep room, where they said, put on the gown, do this, we're gonna put an IV in you, and of course, Cheryl couldn't even be in there at the time. And then when it was time for surgery, the attendants rolled me down to the OR, and I said, I'd sure like to see my family before I go, and so they rolled me down and into the hallway, and there I was, uh, they were taking me down the hallway, and there I was greeted by a throng of my uh, family and friends, and they were very loud and boisterous, of course, because Rod Sugiyama, chairman of our elder board, was among them, and he's very loud. And it really buoyed my spirits to see them. And after Rod prayed, and a dear friend, Dr. Dean Matsuda, who was also uh, on our elder board at one time, chairman of our elder board at one time, after they prayed, they whisked me away. Well, moments earlier, before they got me to the OR, I, I was in the prep room, as I said, and and I was, as I was in the prep room, I had a few minutes to myself. And I remember that prayer or that promise out of Isaiah 41. So right then and there, um, there wasn't a pastor there. I'm the pastor. So I, I just prayed. And I remember, and I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but I remember extending my hands. And I said, God, thank you so much for always being with me. Thank you for being with me through this really difficult ordeal. Thank you for holding my hand. 
Take my hand now, God. And even throughout the surgery, hold my hand. And I have no doubt that he did. He held my hand. I couldn't be in there with Cheryl. She couldn't be there to hold my hand. My girls couldn't be there to hold my hand. Rod couldn't be there to hold my hand. But God was. And because of God's presence, I wasn't afraid. I didn't feel alone. I mean, I was initially shaken by it all, but God blessed me with his incomprehensible peace. And that's why I love Christmas, because of all that it means for us. Because in Jesus, God gave us the gift of his presence so that you don't ever have to be afraid, so that you don't ever have to feel like you're alone, so that you can have access to Almighty God. I would ask you this, what has shaken you in the last 20 months? What has shaken you? Is it COVID? Is it cancer or some other kind of illness? Is it the loss of a friend or a family member? I know so many people who lost loved ones in the last 20 months. Is it the divorce of your parents? Is it the disillusion of your marriage? Is it a lack of finances? Is it everything that's going on in the world today? Has this shaken you up? Is it the fear of uncertainty, fear of the future, the fear of living and dying alone? What has shaken you up? Whatever it is, you don't have to be shaken. You don't have to be afraid because God gave us Christmas. You know, one of the things I didn't tell you about Ahaz, the king of Judah, was that he was corrupt and evil through and through. I mean, this guy was, was wicked. And uh, he would build these idols and have people worship these idols. In fact, it is said that he, he erected and worshiped a statue of the Canaanite god Molech, who had the head of a bull. And here's what 2 Chronicles 28.3 tells us what he did before Molech, this Canaanite god. 2 Chronicles 28.3 says, And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations from, the, from uh, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. All right, so this, this passage tells us that Ahaz... This wicked king sacrificed his own sons before Molech by throwing, him, throwing them into the fire before this god. Here's a drawing that someone came up with of what this scene might have looked like. There's Molech, and, and perhaps that's Ahaz offering his son and burning him in the fire before Molech. But notice, you might have remembered, in 2 Chronicles 28.3, Ahaz said that he made his offerings in the valley of Hinnom. He made them in the offering in the valley of Hinnom. I want to tell you about the valley of Hinnom, and I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me, because this is, this is sick, as you young people would say. This is crazy. The old city of Jerusalem is surrounded by two valleys. In fact, let me show it to you. All right, this is a, an amazing photograph of, of Jerusalem. And this is the old city of Jerusalem, and the old city of Jerusalem is literally surrounded by a wall that goes here on the, on the east, all the way up and across that way. But there, here on the east, you'll see the Temple Mount, which is where they claim the temple was built. And there, right in the middle of it, is the Dome of the Rock, which is an Islamic site. But running here on the east of the city is the Valley of Kidron. And it goes all the way across this way. This is where the city of David was built. And uh, this is the Valley of Kidron. Up on the top, above all this development here, is the Valley of Hinnon. 
And the valley of Hinnon wraps around to the south and the two meet together. The two valleys meet together. But you'll see that patch of dirt right there. That is the valley of Hinnon. Begins there and continues all the way here. But the reason why that is uh, desolate or that why it's vacant today, because that is the valley of Hinnon and, and it was considered to be cursed. In fact, here's a photo of the valley of Hinnon taken from the slope on Mount Zion. And again, you'll notice that there is nothing on it. It's completely desolate because it is said to be cursed. Now get this. The Hebrew word for Hinnom is Gehinnom. And in English, it is translated into the word hell. In the Greek, the word for Hinnom is Gehenna. And again, it is translated into the word hell. And so this area here where Ahaz would worship Molech and burn his children was considered hell. It was considered the valley of hell. And hold that thought. When David was the king of Israel, you might remember that his own son Absalom rebelled against him. He led a rebellion against his own father. In David's palace, and I pointed out where that was, just south of the Temple Mount, David's palace was there, and it, he had to flee from his own son. He had to get away from his own son because his son was going to kill him. And it is said that when he fled from his son, he had to flee through the valley of Hinnom or through the valley of hell or death to get to his safety. It is also believed that this is what David had in mind when he wrote Psalm 23, specifically Psalm 23, verse 4, which is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Let me put it up here for you. David wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Indeed, David may have written this verse with the valley of Hinnom in mind because he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He walked through it. He had to get through it. And what did he say about what it was like going through it? He said he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because God was with him. And that's the point of this passage, that God was with him. No matter how deep and dark your valley is, God is with us. He is with you. You may, it doesn't matter how large or daunting the obstacle it is that you're facing, God is with you. That's what this is all about. You may have COVID. You may have cancer. You may have some kind of an infection. Your marriage may be on the rocks. You may be unemployed. You may be homeless, but God is with you. And that's what Christmas is all about, that God gave us his son to be with us. Because Christ came at Christmas, it means that the deepest, dark and darkest valleys we go through are never gone through alone, but they're always gone through with Christ. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, three people who know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death are Berta and Sammy and Stevie Suhu. I want to, rather than set this up for you, I'm just going to let them tell you in their own words what it is they went through on January 1st of this year. Take a look at the screen. 
So on Christmas Eve, my family started to feel sick and um, although my boyfriend Michael and I did not feel any symptoms, we were pretty sure it was probably COVID. Um, we did end up testing positive. At one point my dad was actually doing really well. He was even doing chores and stuff and he seemed perfectly fine. Then the following morning on New Year's Day is when uh, my brother found him in his bed and he'd already passed at that point. I was actually the uh, the first one and the last one to see my dad. First thing I did was tell my mom, like, you know, that my dad was gone. Um, and then, you know, the next thing was to, like, check him. And, you know, when I, when I touched his body, like, I knew that even if I wanted to do CPR or anything on him, it would have been far too late anyways. I think I was in shock at first. I just immediately was like, I like stood up and I told my boyfriend what had happened. I was like, my dad just passed. And then I started freaking out because I was like, I need to get ready and head over to my home to be there for them and stuff like that. And then I just started bawling. It was really hard during that day being at home, uh, knowing that his body was still in the house and that my mom and my brother were still feeling pretty bad. It was hard for me to hear knowing that like they could be next, but I, I did feel at least a little bit of relief when they were both in the hospital because I felt like if they could get any help, at least it's going to be there. I was very sad. I was very lonely. I was devastated, overwhelmed, scared. It was probably the worst type of quarantine, I guess you can say, because it was a painful quarantine. Not being able to be there for my mom, not being able to be there for my sister or even my sister's boyfriend. Even though we have so many people around us and we're so thankful that God had blessed us with them, I just couldn't get past my sadness originally. It was really difficult to imagine life without Hank. It wasn't until long after um, the hospitalizations and long after um, recovering that I started really getting emotional about it and really uh, started grieving and really mourn for him. Of course I was worried about how we were going to function as a family without my dad. Um, we relied on him a lot, uh, especially when handling the finances and stuff like that. I'm only really grateful that Sammy had, on my way to the hospital, she made me grab my phone charger and I grabbed a little blanket and that was my connection to the world and the little blanket I had was something I was able to bundle up in and feel loved and supported by God and I, I just felt his loving arms around me the whole time. I knew he was there. He's been through a lot of my pains and he's always shown me how things can be, you know, actually he's great afterwards because it was part of his plan and we don't see the goodness from it until it's over. And we're just so thankful that, um, you know, he uses us to help glorify him and just, we just love him so much and we're just so thankful that we're part of his family. Overall in the end, I think what really kept all of us going was really just that joy in our hearts that we have. Because when you have joy in your heart, like no matter what you're feeling that day, whether it's happiness or sadness or anger or irritation or just fatigue,
it's that joy that you have from God that really keeps us going forward. And we have our friends and family and our churches to really um, remind us of that joy. And so, you know, we have that reassurance that one day we'll be reunited again. And it's a lot sooner than we think um, because time here is different from time over there. I want to thank uh, Berta and Sammy and Stevie for sharing their story with us. So how do they make it through that their own personal valley, the shadow of death? I mean, how do they get through that deep and dark valley? Well, God was with them. When no one else could be with him, God was with him. You know, when you lose a loved one, you like for your family and friends to just show up to be a shoulder that you can cry on. But nobody could show up. Everybody had to be locked down January 1st. And then when those tears wouldn't stop falling, it was God who was there to catch every one of them. When they felt alone, they weren't really alone. God was always with them. Right after they picked up Hank's body, Stevie and Berta had to go to the hospital and they were there probably for 10 days because they were so sick. Can't imagine what that must have been like for them. You know, what God did for them, He can do for you. He can be there for you to walk with you even when you go through the deepest and darkest valleys. And he can be there for you. He can do that for you because that's what Christmas is all about. Christ came to be Emmanuel, to be with you. So the question is, is he? Is God with you? Or is he not with you? Well, he can be with you and he will be with you but only if you want him to. Only if you invite him to. Because God will never impose himself on you. He would never force himself upon you. And the question is, well, do you want him to? And I hope you will. In fact, all you need to do is tell him that you believe in him. You believe that he was who he said he was and he did what he said he did. And if you believe in him and ask him to come and dwell in your hearts, he will the God of the universe will come and dwell in your hearts. So why don't you ask him to do that today? No matter where you're at, whether you're here inside or outside or watching online, ask God to dwell in your hearts. And if you do, it will change everything. It will change everything. Oh, your life will continue to shake from time to time. But when it does, God will be there for you. He will hold your hand. He will even walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why I love Christmas. Thank God for Christmas. Well, let's close our time in prayer. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just a time to reflect on what you've heard. But I want to ask you, would you like God to be with you 
You can. You can. If you simply ask him to. So why don't you ask him to right now? Just say something like this. Dear God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus was your son and that he died on a cross for my sins and you raised him from the dead. And I want him to be with me. I want access to you through him. So come and be with me, Jesus. Come and dwell in my heart. Come and reside in me and be with me and hold my hand even through the valley of the shadow of death. And the best part, one day, when you take me home, I'll be in heaven with you. So come and be with me. Will you just say that to him? Say that to him. Tell him that. And he will. He'll come and be with you forever and ever and ever. And when the earth shakes, when your life shakes, he'll hold your hand. He'll walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, thank you so much for Christmas. Father, Christmas is so much more than presents and hoopla and parties and carols. It is about the greatest event that could ever take place, you sending your son to planet Earth as a man, that we could have access to you, our God. And Father, help us, walk with us. I know that a lot of folks that are here today and who are watching online are going through some shakings, unprecedented shakings. Remind them, not just at Christmas, but every day for the rest of their lives that you are there with them and you will hold their hand. So thank you, God, for the gift of Christmas. We love you for Christmas. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.